0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Rise Church. So glad that you're here with us today. If you're a guest with us for the very first time, well, you picked a unique weekend to come because this is National Church Low Attendance Weekend, and um, because we sprang forward and lost a whole hour of sleep, and so there are people probably right now waking up going, "Uh uh-oh, we made a mistake. And so, uh, hey, give yourselves a hand, clap, you're here, and you made it. I always uh, always tell our team on weekends like this, like, hey, don't worry. They're all coming back next weekend. It's okay. Don't worry. It's Everybody's sleeping in. But we're so glad that you're here. We're continuing a series called I Am. Everybody say I Am. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're in part two today. And uh, if you are a guest with us for the very first time, I highly encourage you to come back at least three times because, hey, I could be off on a weekend, or you just never know, hey, but again, this is Time Change Week, and you want to be here, uh, you know, and check, really kind of go through it at least a few times to give you an idea of what our church and really our spiritual family is like, and man, we're just so honored that you're here. Make sure you don't forget to grab uh, a first-time guest gift bag. Also, if you are on Facebook right now, do me a favor, take your phone out. It's all good to be on your phone in our church because we have our, our notes, and uh, we can put our notes on Version, so it kind of gives you the, the play and where I'm coming from. It's on a Bible app called Version. but if you have Facebook, and take your Facebook uh, out and go ahead and check in. Let them know you're here at church when everybody else is sleeping. And so uh, you are being holy today, and I'm excited that you guys are here. And so we're going to be in John chapter 7 today, where we're looking at the second of jesus's seven I am statements. And uh, last week we talked about uh, Jesus said this statement, I am the bread of life. How many of y'all were here last weekend? Raise your hand if you were here last weekend, all right? If you were not here last weekend, I'm, I now know who you are, so I'm just kidding. Anyway, but hey, I'll give you a little snapshot of really what we talked about. We talked about the idea that Jesus said that he was the bread of life. And really what he was saying was is that most of the people that were coming to Jesus in that time, that come to Jesus in, in this time... Come to him for his stuff, the things that he could bring, you know, like his blessing and his, his uh, you know, even his religious ways and then his miracles. A lot of people came to Jesus for those things back then like they do now. And Jesus said, if you just come to me for me, you get all that. And uh, he, he was trying to give them a better way of living. He said, I am the bread of life so that you could not just be full, but you can be satisfied. Somebody say yes, right? Like you want to be satisfied. You want to be good. You want to feel like, man, I didn't just eat chips and salsa I talked about last weekend but you can actually eat like a good meal, like a burrito or whatever you want to eat. So anyway, we're going to be picking it up um, right after kind of he makes that statement. So now the statement he says today is six months, scholars believe six months after he had his first I am statement of I am the bread of life. So he's walking around Galilee right now. And, and, um, and the Bible records an interesting moment that he has with his disciples. And it's during, um, so so the, the, during the I am the bread of life, it was during the Passover festival. So that's one of the festivals that the, the Jewish people celebrated. Six months later, you kind of see, he, he kind of of sees this, uh, it's kind of close to six months later, the disciples and him are talking uh, uh, during this feast, uh, this festival called the Festival of the Booths or um, or the Feast of Tabernacles and, and what they were doing was they, they had that happening kind of in the main city around Galilee and so the disciples at this time, John actually, the book of John records so many moments where they're trying to kill Jesus so Jesus is in the middle of his ministry right now and he's walking around and he's healing people and he's changing the way church is being changed and so the Pharisees or the church leaders of the day are mad about that. They're like frustrated because they're like, man, we, we are, you're messing up our system, Jesus. And so you start to hear rumblings of people trying to kill Jesus. And so he's having a conversation. The Bible says they have a conversation with his disciples and his disciples say, hey, they're having this feast of tabernacles right now. You need to go be a part of that because they're talking about you. This is your party. Now, imagine you having a birthday party and you aren't there. They're saying, you need to go. This party's about you. They're about the coming Messiah. You need to go be about the coming Messiah. And so Jesus goes, nah, because they're trying to kill me. Why don't you go instead? So it's kind of like he says, you go, disciples, you go. You go, you go talk to them. You go hang out. You go party because they're trying to kill me. They ain't trying to kill you. You go ahead. And so the disciples say, okay. They acquiesce to Jesus. And so they go inside to the party. And then Jesus kind of hangs around for a moment. And what he does is he waits probably halfway through the festival. He says he waits halfway through the festival. And then I think he gets bored. And then he kind of goes into where he told the disciples to go. But he goes in secret. He doesn't go like, you know, Parading in like he's Jesus, because remember everybody's trying to kill him. So he gets into the city and then he he kind of gets halfway through the festival and then that's where we pick it up. So that's kind of the context of what's going on right now. Everybody with me? Everybody say yeah. yeah? All right, awesome. So John chapter 7, this is what happens. So remember, Jesus sneaks in and he's listening to the crowd. Talk about who they think Jesus is. So it goes right in verse 14. He says, Not until halfway through the festival, remember, did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. And the Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been? taught. So he has a moment where Jesus goes, he's listening to everybody talk about him, and then he gets so frustrated, the Bible says, that he starts to kind of go, listen, I'm going to get up and just clarify for everyone and let you know exactly who I am. Now, it mentions the festival. I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles real quick. The Feast of Tabernacles was interesting because um, every year the Jewish people would have this festival that would last eight days. The first day was the Sabbath. The last day was the Sabbath. And so in the middle, they would party all the time. It was like a part. I love, this is what I love about, Jesus? Anything about Jesus? If y'all like been to those churches like parties evil, you didn't read the Bible because they do tons of parties. They party in the beginning. They party. Hey, go back to Revelation. That's all heaven is, is one big party where we celebrate Jesus. So like partying is very, very Christian. Okay. I just, it's okay. You can have fun in church and be a a Christian. And so they have a party literally for a week and they party and dance and sing and they, they have a good time and they celebrate God. And in the Feast of Tabernacles specifically there's a, there's a particular part of this where, where they, they instruct, the, um, uh, they, they instruct the, the, the children of Israel where they, they're, they're celebrating, and here's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating their deliverance out of Egypt. So God knows that you and I forget. Like, have you ever had a really good thing happen to you, and then you forgot about it? Anybody remind, like, anything you forgot? And what happens is, is if you forget, the Bible says familiarity breeds contempt. You forget about what happened to you in your life, then you, you don't value it as much. That's why, like, when you, I always tell people, remember back to who you were before you met God. Like, remember. Like, that God is incredibly uh, concerned with our memory of where we came from. Because if you remember how bad you were before you met God, you'd never leave him. You wouldn't flirt with sin. You wouldn't flirt with disaster. You wouldn't go anywhere close to being looked like. That's why the Bible says, flee the appearance of evil. So so God has this festival where he has them remind themselves over a week-long period, you need a party and remember how good you have it because you used to be in slavery and now you're free. So he's kind of talking to them, like reminding them that. And then inside that festival, what they do for every day is they build. They even do this to this day. Jewish people do that. You actually can buy these on Amazon. They, they, they would get in these things called saccats, which were like tents that were um, made out of um, leaves. Or sometimes they were made out of animal skins. But they're basically like these tents. And then they would go inside the tents. They would eat. Come on, somebody. Yeah, everything about God is eating. I love that. Like, that's a good, I, I'm about Christianity just because you get to eat all the time. So they're eating inside their tents. And all it is, is a reminder. And this is what the reminder is. This is the whole point of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Just so you guys know. The whole point was to remind them that you are, are pilgrims on a journey through life. That this is not your home. Come on, that's a word for some of us in here. Like, like this place, this world, this life that you have right now, It's temporary. And how many of us really honestly try to make houses in the desert You're trying to build a foundation you're trying to put up houses and put brick on it you're trying to make sure you have a nice roof you're trying to make sure you're putting your stake in the ground here's my address don't put Let me just tell you you and I are spiritual beings on a sp- spiritual journey and this is not our home that body you're into right now that ain't your body come on somebody say amen like yes because mine breaking down at times yours break down at times sometimes you ever you know it's like after you you just your your life if you're not careful if you feel like this is the end game then you can get frustrated because man life is frustrating But God wanted to remind the children of Israel, remind the Jewish people, remember, this isn't your home. One day you're going to be with me. So if nothing works out in this life, that's okay. Just remember, it ain't going to be like this forever. So they're reminding them. That's what the whole point of the party was. So I thought, I thought that was pretty good. And so he even says it in First Peter chapter two. He says, "Dearly beloved, this is another part of Scripture in the New Testament." Uh, Peter actually reminds them. He says, "I urge you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which is spirits, which is which war against the soul. That we are spiritual beings on a human journey. That we are spiritual beings." On a human journey, this place is not your home. So he picks it up in verse 37. So then he goes, And on the last day, the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, which you don't know this. And this is just a side note. What he was referencing was a specific ceremony inside the Feast of Tabernacles called the water libation ceremony. And I can go on and on about what that really means. But really, God was just saying, I am your provider. I am your provision. He jumps to verse eight. And here's what happens in in chapter eight, verse 12. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Chapter eight in verse 12, because a bunch of stuff happens. They kind of try to kill him and they're they're, they're plotting against him. And Jesus kind of escapes out. And then he says this right before he leaves. He says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am. Here's the, here's the second statement for us today. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. And with that, as our scripture backdrop, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, today. Thank you, Lord, that you're here. Holy Spirit, speak to us in a way that we can walk out of here different, changed, excited, feeling like we know who you really are, Jesus. A lot of people talk about who you are, but you said who you were, and we want to grab a revelation of that. Holy Spirit, speak to us in only the way that you can, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. How many of y'all have ever heard that song, This Little Light of Mine? Y'all remember that song? In, in church? You don't even have to be a Christian to know This Little Light of Mine. If you don't know what it's like, it, and some of y'all are going to help me out in here because this is participatory service. Come on, we're in church. And so uh, I was a little kid. I would sing that song, This Little Light of Mine. Come on, everybody. I'm going to... Yeah, yeah, that's that's an incredible song. And you know what's funny is a lot of people sing that song like this little light of mine. That's what Jesus said when he said he was the light of the world. Actually, that's not true, because what Jesus was referencing is light of the world. It's a great song. Look, we need to be the light in everything. I'm telling, ta- and we're going to be that. And there's a part of that that's true. But when he was saying was I am the light of the world, what you need to understand was that he was referencing a specific ceremony in the Feast of Tabernacles. It was called the Grand Illumination Ceremony. Now, again, remember I told you that every day of this eight-day festival, they would party except for two of the days. They'd have a Sabbath in the beginning and a Sabbath at the end. But during the every night of the festival, the, the uh, priests of the temple would go out and they would light these gigantic menorah lanterns. And there was four of them typically inside the temple courts. And what they would do is they would lift them up 150 feet high. They would be about 20 gallons of oil each. And what they would do is they would create these giant lanterns or lamps, and they would use the uh, the priest's garment as the wicks of these menorahs. And so they would lift them up, and they'd light them up, and they would call it a grand illumination ceremony. And the point of it was, is again, everything is symbolized inside Jewish culture. And what it's symbolized was the uh, pillar of fire by night as they would be as they would be led by the children of Israel so as they're being led through the desert God would put a fire a pillar of fire to help show them the way well this was their way of doing that and it would light up the entire city and so they would they would do that and they would have a ceremony and again they'd dance and they'd be uh, uh, you know excited and it would really symbolize that God is our direction and the reason they would do that is because God always wanted us to be concerned with the fact that the the world was incredibly dark. Right. Now, it was incredibly dark back then, but y'all have seen the news lately. Y'all flip through Facebook. Y'all see Instagram stories. Y'all watch the, y- y'all get, nobody reads the newspaper anymore, but you get your flash briefing on your phone, right? And Alexa. And it would seem like the world has gotten darker and seems to get darker over time. It doesn't get lighter. And so God was incredibly concerned that you and I need to know that the Bible values light because the dark ultimately brings death. I I remember, um, can I have a confession moment with you guys? Just like confessions of a pastor, like open my soul for a moment. Um, I am afraid of the dark. Anybody else afraid of the dark like me? Anybody just willing in to admit it? One. We got one. All right. Awesome. Well, the rest of you, you know, people who aren't telling the truth, I am afraid uh, of the dark. And I'm interesting because I'm afraid of the dark. And here's why. Because I really believe in the spirit world. And I believe that there's demons. And I believe that there's angels. And I think demons are out at night. That's just what I think. I think they work at night. And then I actually think that they're about the size of my children. They're about like this size. And, and, and I really believe that like, hey, if the demons were going to go after anybody, like I'm a pastor, right? I work for God. If they were going to go after anyone, wouldn't they go after, wouldn't they go after me? And so like I'm concerned at night. Like even when I take my contacts out, um, I can't see. I'm like literally blind. So when it's at night and I, can't, and I take my contacts out, I, it's not only dark, I can't see. So it's not a good thing at nighttime for me. It really isn't. I'm very unsettled in the dark. And uh, I remember, um, I want to say maybe about a year ago, we were living in uh, Missouri, in, or a couple of years ago, we were living in Missouri, and it was, it was nighttime, and I had just preached a sermon, and I come home from uh, church on a Saturday night because we had Saturday night services, and one day, hey, we're going to have Saturday night services, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to have like 20 services during the weekend. It's going to be great. But anyway... Saturday night service, I finished preaching and I'm walking. I get in my car and I got my whole kids my family. I got five young boys and my wife. We're in my car. And as we're driving into our neighborhood, we notice one thing, that there weren't the lights on the street that you normally see, which indicates only one thing. What happened, y'all? Like the power went out. Well, it was cold because it was like a snowstorm slash ice storm slash like sleet storm slash terrible cold storm, which I'm so happy we live in Texas. Come on, like maybe on a day like this. And uh, because this would be snow and ice and hell, it would be terrible. And so we live in Texas, God's country. And so it's not that, but there it's not, it's misery, -er misery. That's where and so we're there. And so we're driving into my neighborhood and I'm noticing that the lights are out The power's out and I start to have anxiety because it's nighttime. And remember, I told y'all I'm afraid of the dark. So we pull up to my house and my wife is looking at me and I go, well, babe, the power's out. Maybe we need to go to the store. Why don't we go have dinner? Let's just go do something. She's like, well, why don't you go inside and check and see if it's warm enough? Like maybe the heater lasted long enough and our, our house insulated long enough. And we'll just sit in the house and wait for it to, you know, just to come back on. And I'm like, no because it's dark in there and there's no internet. What am I going to do? Just hang out and talk to you? That's weird. So I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. And so she's like, no, we want to go in there and check it out. She goes, why don't you go inside and check it out? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the man. And so I said, babe, no problem. I got you. So I get out of the car and I walk to my front house and my door. And I don't know if you ever remember, but like when the power's out, it's eerily quiet at night. Like when you can't hear air conditioning and you, can't, you don't have like the sound of, 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 you know, lights and electricity. And so I'm like, this is weird. So I walk up to our door and I put the key in and I open the door. And I promise you all, I heard like the door just creaked open. I never heard it creak open before ever. So I'm like nervous. I'm looking at my wife. And before I walk in, I look at my wife and I'm like, and I have like this anxiety and look on my face. And she's like. You're going to do good. And I'm like, okay. So she's in the car. and My kids are in the car. And i got like, I got to be man. And I'm going to walk in. So I walk in and I look in and it's just pitch dark. And again, I can't, there's, it's so quiet. And I can hear like, I'm not kidding you. I can hear like wolves and dogs in the back, y'all, background. Like, and I'm like, oh man. So I turn on my phone. I get my phone and I, I put this thing. It's got like a flashlight feature on your phone. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Like the, the flashlight. So I, I pull my phone out. Well, I hit some weird button and my, my light started flashing. Like like a creepy, weird horror movie. So now I'm in my house. It's pitch dark. The light is flashing. There's no sign. Uh, there's no sound. And I'm freaking out because what my house was normally now turned into a haunted house. Okay, now I can't see. I'm freaked out. I'm scared. There's no silence. I'm like trying to figure out my phone. And just when I start to really lose it, I feel this little, I, I can't even describe it, but it was just something go up my back this little and it was like these like little touches of of something and i'm like that's it. it this is when the demon attacks because i'm a pastor and this is the moment it's dark this is his playtime and i can feel something go up my back and i'm like <gasps> And I didn't want to turn around, it's like killing a bug, you know, when you don't want to look at it, you smash it, and you don't want to look. Like I don't want to turn around because I just know that that you know demons are about this size. So I'm like, no, no, I'm not turning around. I, I and I kind of half scream, I turn around, and you know who it was? It was my little punk kid tied a seven-year-old, my little son. And I look at him and he and he just thought it was the funniest thing. And he just, because I was like, so I screamed, I turn around, I look, and he goes, ha ha, ha, ha and he runs away. And I'm like, Titus, like, you're going to be, I'm going to send you away. Boarding school was created for little kids like you. And he just thought it was so funny. But because why? Because I'm, I'm like afraid. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm concerned with the dark. I like the light. And if you read the Bible in any sense of the context, the Bible is extremely concerned with, with the dark because nothing good ever grows in the dark. You ever notice that? And that like when you are Jesus on this earth and he's seeing all the ugliness of the world and all the darkness that it brings, he he makes this amazing statement. He says, I am the light of the world. Why you guys are partying right now is because of me. And I know you're lifting these lamps and these menorahs in this temple court to light the city. I want to be the light of the world. That, that you can introduce a temporary light that'll fix the city, but I can, I can give you a, an eternal light that could fix the world. It's, it's, this, it's this interesting thing that Jesus offers everybody. That if you just go to Jesus, he could, he could be the light to, to everyone. And like light, when you introduce light into a dark place, it affects the environment. Isn't that true? If the power were to go out in here and I turn on my flashlight or you would turn on your flashlight on your phone, it would affect the light. It would affect the environment. It would affect the atmosphere. What you couldn't see before, you'd be able to see now. And so just like light affects the environment inside of the dark, I'm going to talk about three things, three effects light has on its environment that if you introduce it, uh, it actually changes the environment. And just like that, Jesus, when you introduce him into the dark areas of your life, it could actually affect it. Three things, if you're taking notes as we wrap up today, three things light impacts, uh, three impacts that light has on its environment. The first light, uh, first impact that light has on its environment is that it has the ability to restore. Everybody say restore is the ability to restore. Light has the ability, this is the ability to heal things. Scientists are now finding out that um, and have, have really known this for a while, but they're starting to use it even more and more that light has this ability, this unique ability to heal physical bodies there are uh, studies showing that sunlight therapy is not able to to heal things like tuberculosis and strep throat and pneumonia and and mumps and fungal infections that instead of pharmaceutical drugs which again we're not against doctors and we're not against science we're we're, we're, we're for that we're for uh, the, the the things that we can do with with our brains and with professionals those are good things and 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 the, and those scientists are finding now that you can do things to heal the body that with with simple things such as sunlight therapy. Um, there's an infrared light therapy study right now that I just read that uh, is actually showing it can actually heal things like uh, certain types of wounds. It can actually build muscle. It could turn back the effects of diabetes and, and blindness, that, that um, there's even parts of the world where um, there's not a lot of sunlight. Uh, like Seattle, my wife 's from Seattle or, or even parts of New York or areas where where there tends to be a lot of rain or a lot of cloud cover, and most people in those areas suffer from a disorder called sad it 's literally called sad it 's seasonal affective disorder and it's, and what it is is it 's just this ability they 're they're, they're suffering from depression and from anxiety and and they're, the way that doctors have found one of the most effective ways to help people and to heal them and to help them get through their depression and help them get through their anxiety and help them like, get over. SAD, this, this, this seasonal defective disorder, is they put them in artificial sunlight rooms called sunboxes. They just put them in there so they don't give them necessarily a, a, a pharmaceutical drug or they don't have to prescribe a certain way of eating. or live. They just put them in sunlight, just get them around light and all of a sudden, you start to see certain things in their body and the chemicals in their body start to produce certain things. Why? Because light has the ability to heal. I'm going to say that again. So, so light has the ability to heal. Light, Jesus, yeah. the light of the world, has the ability to heal. I'm going to read you a scripture Isaiah 53. And you might have heard this before, and maybe you've never heard of this. but I want you to know the power that the light of the world has, because light has the ability. To heal, but he was. This is Jesus speaking of Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is Isaiah, who is a prophet in the Old Testament, speaking of the coming Messiah, Jesus. And he says, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his his wounds we are we are we are healed. That that Jesus, the light of the world, as we introduce him into our lives, he has the ability to heal. That the Gospels, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, inside of the Bible that starts the New Testament, there's over 3,700 stories of Jesus, and over 700 of them speak of healing or some type of restoration. You need to know that Jesus is concerned with you not just getting to heaven and you not just having a healed and restored body one day in heaven in the future with him somewhere. He's concerned with you having healing now. And that we get through these seasons of life and we see, you know, spiritually, you know, when you come to a church, you would think, well, you know, it's going to help heal my, my spiritual soul, my spiritual body. But you need to know this, that God, the light, Jesus, the light of the world has the power to heal your physical body. Like he has the power to, some of us didn't grow up in that church. Maybe you grew up in a certain denomination, maybe a certain religion, maybe a certain place. Maybe you didn't even know anything about church. You need to know this, that the God that we serve has the abilities to supernaturally heal you. And that's going to matter to some of us someday. Because we're going to go to a doctor and we're going to hear a bad report. We're going to go to a physician and something's going to happen. And again, I'm for doctors. We're for the medical community. I have many friends who are doctors. I have many friends who come. There are doctors in our church. We believe we support you. We are behind you. We're not that weird church that says, don't listen to the doctors. That's weird. They're professionals. They studied. We want them to know what they're talking about. I go to doctors. We go to professionals. But listen, eventually you might run into a situation where they've done all that they know. Come on. Where we've done all we can do. We we have everything that we've tried. We've tried everything for you. We're at the end of our rope and you might be there right now. You might get there one day and you're going to need the God of Isaiah. Like, you're gonna need the God of Isaiah 53 where the wounds, right? Come on, like his wounds. So he was broken. So then we gotta introduce a spiritual component, a spiritual characteristic, because you might run into something that you can't fix on your own, that you can't fix with doctors, and that you can't fix by looking up on WebMD. Gosh. What a what what a what a weird thing where we when we get sick the first thing we do is open up our Google and go to webmd come on how many of y'all've done that before right and instead of going to God the great physician come on first we 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 go to to to, to webmd and we're like google you know google is maximus you got all the answers Like, come on, you tell me, here's my symptoms, here's what I'm going through, and I'm just telling you, one day something's going to happen where you're going to be broken, you're going to need some muscle fixing, you're going to need something inside of your body, and something's not going to be right. And you're going to need to go to Isaiah 53, and you're going to have to say, listen, I I know that you can heal me. That instead of me going to another place, I'm going to go to the sun, S-O-N. Come on, I'm going to go to the sun, I'm going to get the light of the world in my life and shine it on the things that are broken because he was broken so that I can be healed. And some of us in here need a revelation of that. That could be new for you. You're like, well, I'm just used to being sick all the time. You've normalized sickness in your life. Sickness is not normal. Sickness, by definition, is not normal. God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to have health now. That's a word for somebody in here. And it's not weird. It's not pseudo-spiritual. It's not like, well, you know, I don't listen to anybody else. I just pray. And, and, you know, I don't take any medicine and I don't go to doctors. That's weird. Let me say that again. That's weird. We, we, we honor professionals. We walk those things out. But eventually, we're going to need to go to the great physician. And my hope is that our church would start there because light affects the darkness. The first thing it has, the ability is to restore. The second thing is this is to refine. Everybody say Refine. This is the, the light, this is the ability that light has to purify, to purify. Um, scientists re, uh, figured out in, in 1877, this is before Purell, you know, in Germex, right? And uh, they realized and they figured out, like, there's this thing called bacteria and that there's bacteria in our life and that there's some stuff that actually grows that is not healthy for us. It causes us to be sick. And, and they re- realized that if you put ultraviolet rays on this bacteria, it can purify everything from water to air to, to, you know, surfaces that have, that have and contain bacteria. And that light literally has the power to purify. Think about that. Has the power to purify. Now, here's what I know about the human condition. You could trust me just as a pastor, because I, I meet with a lot of people. I connect with a lot of people over many, many years. That we have a human spiritual condition, and we're in trouble. That our hearts by nature and our spirits by nature, who we are by nature, is actually not a good thing. Matthew 15 talks about this. He says, uh, this is Jesus speaking about our hearts, speaking about like our nature, our hearts of who we are. And he says this, this, is kind of an interesting, Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, as he's speaking to people, and the Pharisees are irritated, so the context of the scriptures, the Pharisees are irritated, so they're all talking about all of the symptoms, like, all of the issues, they're saying, they're saying, everybody keeps screaming at people, stop being sinners, stop sinning, be good, be good, like, that's the motto of every Pharisee that ever lived, there's Pharisees back then, there are Pharisees now, there are pharisaical churches, where they walk, you walk in, you've probably been in a couple of them, where they walk in, and the first thing is, is, hey, stop sinning be good, be right. All the symptoms, like stop being bad. And Jesus kind of says, well, listen, it's not what goes into your mouth in verse 11 that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth, but the words that you speak are from the heart. So he goes on deeper. He says, it's not what you're saying that defiles you. It's not the things. It's not your hands. It's your heart. Because if you fixed your heart, your hands would be fixed. If you would fix your heart, your mouth would be fixed. The things that come out of you, there's a root issue instead of a fruit issue, right? So he says there's something wrong with you by nature. And you know this because if you have kids, anybody have kids in here? Raise your hand if you have a child. If you have a child in here, you know that you, you and I are born into sin. You know. I don't have to convince you of that. You want to know why? Because you didn't have to teach your kid to be crazy, Come on, you didn't have to teach it. Have you ever noticed that they come out just acting crazy, acting a fool? You're like, I don't know whose you are, but you aren't mine. Like, I didn't teach you. To, have you noticed that you didn't teach your kids to say no? You didn't have to teach them to be rebellious. You didn't have to teach them to just talk back to you. You didn't have to teach them to be disrespectful and dishonoring. You didn't have to teach them to walk around and be crazy and punch their little brother and destroy things. You didn't have to teach them any of that. And what's so funny is that so many of us, like, we kind of look at our hearts and we value our hearts and our feelings and who we are by nature. We're like, God, don't you know my heart is pure? My heart is clean. The Bible says defiles in the Greek there is koinos. It means unclean. It means that our hearts by what Jesus was saying is our hearts are bacteria factories. Are, not your, are. I'm in this boat with you. I'm a human. We're all, we are all—we got issues. Some of you just need to be okay with that. Some of you have never said that before. Like, everybody's got issues, but not me. No, you got issues too. Y'all know that crazy friend who's got the major issues in your, y'all, you know what I'm talking about? Like, in your circle of friends, you're like, oh, I know. And if you don't have that crazy friend who's got the major issues, you, that crazy friend. <laughs> they just didn't tell you. And we say weird things like this. This is, this is how we do. So, so Jesus is saying, it's your heart. That's the issue, it's the root, it's the problem. And then we say things that are silly, like, well, I'm gonna trust my heart. I'm gonna follow my heart. And it could be in a relationship where you find someone and you're like, you know, he loves me and he makes me feel all the feels, right? And you follow your feelings and it gets you into trouble. And then you wonder what happened And Jesus is going, I know what happened. You trusted that bacteria factory. You thought your motives were pure. You thought just because you felt it, it was right. Isn't that like the motto of our culture nowadays? If it feels good, do it. Like, if it feels good. Like, it's so, I always, I laugh at stuff like that. And it's subtle because it comes in different ways and it's wrapped in different packages. But it's always like, if it feels good, if you're feeling it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely feels good. Just do it. It doesn't matter. Like we do that with our money. If it feels good, buy it. Yeah. We do that with our wife or our husbands, our spouses. If it feels good, yeah, do it. We do it with our our bosses. If it works, we we live this life where we're like, we trust our heart. Our heart's amazing. Disney said it was awesome. It's a whole new world, right? Like it's like, yeah, great. We trust our hearts. And the funny thing about that is I've always noticed that us left unto ourselves is never a good thing. Second law, I think of thermodynamics, is that everything drifts to chaos, right? Like everything doesn't drift better. Us left alone is not a good thing. And I've noticed this, like, have you ever left your kids alone? Did you ever go back to them wondering, like, you're better than I left you? (laughs) Said no parent ever. (laughs) Why? Because kids typically, right, look, what's the the correlation of a child? Is that they typically do what they feel is right. They don't don't think logically because they don't know. They just do what they feel. And every time you do that, this happens. I I saw this picture the other day. This was like the, uh, uh, and it just made me laugh. Like this is us left unto our feelings. Like this is what happens when you leave kids alone. Y'all seen stuff like this? Where they're like, they left a kid alone in the house and they came back. And uh, now the house and the life is crazy. And that's what happens to our life when we're left unto ourselves. Because our, Why? Because our, our hearts are bacteria factories. So my question to you is, how much of the light of Jesus have you put on your heart? The darkness of your heart. The darkness of, this, of your soul. The things that are deep inside. The secrets that you carry. The secrets that no one knows about. The stuff that no one ever brings up because you have not shined the light of Jesus on your heart. The Bible speaks so much more rather than trusting your heart, than trust the God who controls your heart, who can purify your heart, who could trust in Jesus. So Jesus, what he was saying when he was saying I'm the light of the world, he was saying instead of trusting your feelings, trust in me, trust in what I know for you because I created you. I was there when God the Father kind of put you together so I kind of know what you you need. I kind of know because I created you. I kind of know what's best for you. And so instead of you trusting your feelings in the moment, listen, if anybody, I'm just telling you, no one gets anywhere in their life and does anything of anything significant by just trusting their feelings. If I trusted my feelings, I'd eat a churro every day of the week, (laughs) all the time, every day. And yet, I don't, why? Because I know it's, right? It's probably not the most healthy thing. So God's saying, put the light of me on your heart and see if I can purify your motives, amen? Third one is this, and I'm ending with this one, is the last thing the light has the ability to do is to redirect. This is light has the ability to guide. The light can truly show us where to go. Have y'all ever driven at night with your, 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 your lights off on your car? It's pretty easy to do nowadays because most of the dials on the inside, they light up, and so they can kind of see, you, know, you can kind of see the, um, the dial without, before, you know, older cars... You didn't, they didn't light up if, unless you turned your light on, so it kind of gave you an indicator. But now my lights always, you know, my speedometer's always lit up, so it's harder to see sometimes. And when you drive without your car, lights on at night, it's dangerous. Isn't it? What's the first thing you do when you see someone drive with their lights on? Off. Oh, flash them like, come on! Join the rest of humanity! Turn your lights on so I don't run into you and you don't run into someone. It's safer, come on, it's safer to drive when your lights are on. Why? Because light directs your path. Psalm 119 says this, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So David, David, the David, David and Goliath, David wrote this as the psalmist. So he's writing this in a context and in this time when we don't really truly understand. Because most of the places that we go, there are lights and their paths, are lit. But for them, in an ancient city... There wouldn't have been streetlights. There wouldn't have been light posts. There wouldn't have been flash, you know, they didn't have flashlights. They would carry around lanterns. I read this story the other day, and this is interesting. And this is, this is something for us. This is important. So, said, a famous Bible translator told the story of a little girl who came to him one evening while he was in Jerusalem. She asked him if he would go with her to see her mother, so, who was very sick, and he readily consented to do so. So, so, so he's there. He's in this old part of Jerusalem. And he says this, he says, what are you doing with an oil lamp? He asked the child. We live in an old, and so she replied this, we live in an old section of Jerusalem and the streets are narrow and they're dark. We will need a lamp to show us the way. Please follow me. So she says, because the path is narrow and it's dark, we need this lamp. Otherwise we won't get to what we're trying to get to. Come on. So the little girl walked ahead of him and held the lamp low, almost touching the cobblestone so the man could see exactly, listen to me, so the man could find out exactly where he was placing his feet. When David said, you are a lamp unto my feet, what he was saying is, may I never put my foot in a place you didn't direct me. May I never live my life. May I never make a decision where I kind of put my my foot in the midst of darkness where I can't see where I'm trying to go. Now, how many of us take steps in life and we ask for forgiveness or permission later? You could be spaced with a tough decision right now. Maybe you're... You're worrying about your job. You're worrying about your wife. You're worrying about your husband. You have a decision to make about your kids. You have a decision to make about your life. You have a decision to make about your money. You have a decision to make about your health. You have a decision to make about your house. You have a decision to make about your spiritual life. You have a decision to make about your church. You have a decision to make about your being and your life in this world, and you and I, how often do we take a step into nothingness, into darkness, and we say that's a step of faith. That ain't a step of faith. That's a leap of faith, and the Bible never asks you to do a leap of faith. He asked you to take a step of faith. Yeah. And steps of faith are ordered and righteous. The Bible says, the Bible says very clearly that the, righteous, the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, which means he orders your steps, which means he will give you the step. Might not give you the full path, right. but he's going to give you the step to walk if you ask him. If you introduce the light of Jesus into your life, and you introduce the light of Jesus into your path, introduce the light of Jesus right before you take a step, there's a difference between asking God, God, can I do this? And God, I want to just, I want to go where you want me to go. Where, where do you want me to step? There's a difference. Because oftentimes, you and I come to God. Come on, if we're honest. We come to God with the decision made, with the step that we're trying to take, and we're saying, God, I need you to go there. And God's saying, I don't want you to go there, but okay, I'm trying, I got this better path over here. There's a light in this area. And when you introduce the light of Jesus into your into your decision-making process, he can redirect, he can guide your path. He can actually make sure that what you're going to go to is blessed and not cursed. There's a difference, isn't it? How often do we go to God with a decision made and then just asking him to cover it? I've noticed that if I sit down with someone and they ask me my opinion on something. I just have a soapbox moment for a second as your pastor. <laughs> Majority of the time when I meet with somebody who's struggling with a the decision. They'll say tell, they'll tell me these same and it's all wrapped in the same type of language, but they're typically this. Hey, I heard God tell me this. What do you think? And I'm like. Well, God told you Why are you asking me? It sounds spiritual. It sounds like they're, they're really asking for advice, but they ain't asking for advice. They're just asking for permission. I heard God tell me this. What do you think? Well, you heard God. You use the guard card. You win. Checkmate. There's a difference between saying, and, and we do that with God. God, I know we need to go here. You good with it? God's going, you just told me You knew. Rather than walking to God and say, God, look, you know, I have a desire in my heart to go there. I don't know if it's right. I want you to bless it. I want you to, see, I want to see. And when you do what you do, here's how you practically introduce the light of Jesus into your decision-making processes. You bring the Bible into it. There's the light. The word of God. You bring spiritual counsel into it. So it could be me. It could be a pastor. It could be a spiritual leader in you. But don't walk in them and say, God told me hey, I feel like this could be God. Hey, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling like I need to go this way. I prayed about it. It feels good to me between me and the Holy Spirit. But hey, can you give me some insight? Because I could be way, way off. And you'd be surprised how many people use the God card on things that are unbiblical, unright, unnatural. Like, hey, I wanna, you know, I wanna go do this. I know the Bible says it's not right, but, but I still wanna do that. It's okay, right? No. Well, no, it's God telling me that. God's never going to contradict his word. What are you talking about? Why would he tell you not to do something in his scriptures, in his word that's living and active, and tell you to just get... That's how cults start, just so you know. And so we got to be careful that if we're making a decision... We introduce the light of Jesus into our life, into the decision-making process. God, I haven't made the decision yet. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to speak to me. I want you to give me advice. I want you to give me counsel. I want to see it from your angles. I don't want to make the decision and then do it. I, don't, I want to be, I want to have the light of the world in my life so that you can direct my paths. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. What Jesus was saying when he said, I am the light of the world, he says, I want to be the light of the world, but in order for me to do that, I need to be the light of your world. And my encouragement to do today as your pastor is that you would introduce the light of Jesus into your life that can heal. Some of us in here have been sick for too long. You need the light of Jesus in your life. Some of us in here need the light of Jesus to come and purify the motives of our heart. There's some things that you make. You make decisions way too much with your feelings in your heart and you know it. You need to introduce the light of Jesus into your heart and your process to purify your motives, to purify the whys so that the what's are right. And some of us in here need to introduce the light of Jesus to direct and redirect our paths because us left unto ourselves is not a good thing. And in order for him to be the light of the world, he's got to be the light of your world. He's got to be the light of my world. And remember how that old statement goes? If you want to change the world, start with who? Yeah, start with you. And Jesus knew that. My prayer today is that you would accept Jesus as the light of the world.